You're listening to the Nomcast, a proud member of Forgotten Entertainment. Hello, and welcome to the Nomcast the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can follow me at JokesOnDrew. As you heard up top, this is our first episode under the Forgotten Entertainment banner. Uh, I'm super excited for this partnership, uh, this collaboration that we have now with a bunch of terrific podcasters and content creators over there. I highly suggest you check out the site, uh, ForgottenEntertainment.com. Check out everything that they have to offer, including our fellow movie podcast friends, Forgotten Cinema, the very cool Cracking One Open uh, craft beer and pop culture podcast, and soon, uh, movie fans, they will be debuting a new podcast called Yet Another MCU Podcast which obviously deals with the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So be sure to check out that site, check out all that they have to offer on ForgottenEntertainment.com. Okay, so this episode is a fun idea I came up with a while back, and I brought on, I think, just the right people to pull it off. Uh, This episode is the hidden gems of Netflix original movies, Uh, The films that didn't quite get the traction they deserved upon initial release. And we have three such films that we are going to talk about today with two terrific gentlemen that you've heard on this podcast before. Uh, We have Shane Beauregard of Media Mosh, who will discuss Mike Flanagan's dark, twisted fantasy film, Before I Wake. And Chris Friedel of the film blog Arguing With Myself, We'll discuss 2018's The Legacy of a White-Tailed Deer Hunter, starring Josh Brolin and Danny McBride. And of course, my amazing pick, uh, clearly the best of all of them, as you'll see me brag about uh, when we get this started, will be the 2016 military battle film The Siege of Jadoville, starring Jamie Dornan of The Fall and those 50 Shades of Grey films, but... We don't need to acknowledge those. Uh, so stay tuned for all of that. Uh, if you would, please subscribe to Shane's podcast, Media Mosh, on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out Chris Frodell's film reviews under Arguing With Myself on Facebook. Also, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, The Nomcast, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. All right, let's get to it. Here it is, the Netflix Hidden Gems with Shane and Chris. Give a listen. All right, on the line, some of my favorite guys to talk to. Thank goodness we're doing this again. On the line, we have Chris Frodell, a film critic from the movie blog Arguing With Myself. How are you, sir? Fine. Now that I'm talking to you, my day is complete. I hear that a lot. Thank you, sir. Thanks for chiming in. (laughs) And, of course, uh, Shane Beauregard, host of Media Mosh. How are you doing in the sweltering heat down there, baby? 
Yeah, I'm uh, holding it together. Like you said, it is hot. That's an understatement. And uh, <laughs> I'm not as I'm clear minded tonight. So I'm glad to be on for the third time. So I, I feel honored. I'm a, I almost feel like Sally Fields right now but thank you guys so much for coming on uh i thought this was a pretty cool idea and i know obviously that shane you know with media mosh that you consume actually probably more netflix than i do especially because you're covering (laughs) both sides of the fence the movie and the tv and everything else and you've been doing it for longer than me so i almost feel stupid almost putting you on assignment because you actually have the deep dive in your head already but, you know, Chris, obviously, we've been doing this for a long time. And a lot of times why I wanted you on early on before you ever came on was because you have the, the depth of knowledge as well uh, for that. And if not, I get to make you watch subtitles. So I oh, did I that it. again. It's perfect. Um, so all my things are at, on display for this episode. So I'm super excited uh, to do this. But, you know, when I when I came to you guys with this idea like the whole hidden gems thing did you have like a mental criteria in your head like what made up like a netflix hidden gem because some people can argue it's on fucking netflix it's it's already hidden it's not in a theater it's whatever like so in your head i'll start with you shane what did you think of when i said hidden gem first thing that popped in my head was frank grillo no i'm I'm kidding Uh, (laughs) yes No, but no, seriously, I think a hidden gem for me is movies I really enjoyed that, honestly, not a lot of people talk about. There's no buzz about it. Um, Yeah, they're all there for Netflix for you guys to find, but sometimes it's hard to find those specific movies because sometimes they get pushed back to the bottom of the barrel. Sometimes you just, you can't see them on the main page anymore. So just movies that I just thoroughly enjoyed that more people needed, they just needed to know more of that movie. They need to know about it. So that was my only criteria things I really liked. And I thought more people should watch that specific movie. And Chris, where'd you, where'd you fall with that? Did you have a certain criteria? Uh, first off, you <laughs> said it already um, that I, I really personally don't know what counts as a Netflix movie in general. So <laughs> right. I had to look it up on the internet. Yeah. See all the movies I didn't see. Sure. And pinpoint which ones I did that other people may not have. Right. Uh, so first internet and then criteria. Uh, no, but uh, Shane says it uh, best by sometimes you just go to the, uh, the front page and right. you can't find the newest Netflix movie. We've discussed <laughs> yes, that before. Be re- yeah. I was about to say it's a recurring theme here. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, now certain movies, yeah, get pushed to the wayside and a lot of people are on to the next thing, you know, they're on to the docu-series, they're on sure. to the, the most popular. I mean, Netflix has so, literally said out loud, like they need a hit every two weeks at least. So, you really? know, yeah. yeah, especially now and in the pandemic, they definitely have. So good for them. Um, yeah. But yeah, these, these definitely, I would say the movies that we chose do not fall into at any point was some kind of hit. I would right. say. Right. Plus to me, I mean, uh, something that I noticed between all of them, they're all older films. It's kind of early in the, the Netflix repertoire. You know, you're talking at least a couple of years old or more for any of these. Um, and they all have some kind of story of like, kind of why 
it probably yeah. is. And we'll get into that as we get into the specific movies. But definitely I could see some overlap in terms of the release dates and and what kind of it's either something that is very early on in somebody's career or some of the people maybe aren't big ticket items or, you know, it's something that should have done better than it did in some cases. We'll all get to those stories. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of reasons and I can't wait to get into them with you guys. So Chris, then I guess we'll start with your film. It's a long title. <laughs> yeah, The Legacy of a White-Tailed Deer Hunter. Hi, I'm Buck Ferguson. We go. A long time ago, I decided to follow my dream of hunting white-tailed deer all over the world. Lo and behold, my dreams have come true. I've seen the best and I've killed the best. And now I'm here to share with you the joy I've found in hunting white-tailed deer. So this yep. is, I believe, the newest movie of the three that we did. And this came out in 2018 um, to yep. set the stage for a little bit. For, for if you told me the people involved and you, if I watched this in real time, which I didn't watch it when it came out, obviously. Okay. It was hidden to me too, Chris. Um, yep. I didn't watch this when it came out. But... I mean, Jesus Christ, for the people involved, we'll start with Josh Brolin because he is the lead here. Yep. He was in in just 2018. He was uh, Thanos in uh, The Avengers. He had Deadpool 2. He plays Cable. You know, he's in, uh, I believe, Sicario Sicario. 2 and then this movie. So, Jesus Christ, he's uh, in... All the franchises of 2018. 2018 was Josh Brolin's year. It, it was. It really was. Uh, and I think because uh, Whitetail Deer Hunter was such a small movie. Yeah, incredibly. People were, were just looking at, you know, the glossy surface. They were looking, oh, my God, he's Cable in Deadpool. He's, you know, he's Thanos. Like, right. Those were the movies. So nothing else mattered except for, you know, Marvel, you know, yeah, 2018. I mean, yeah. And you could definitely tell based on the, the cross section here, Josh Brolin is an incredible character actor. Like, I don't know, you know, and this is the only one of all those ones in there that he's really kind of the lead. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting for him. He doesn't get a lot of that opportunity, sort of. Well, yeah, he definitely uh, became more prominent in the uh, sequel to Sicario. Uh, sure. In the first one, he was just basically a, a side character. Right. Um, but in this one, you know, he's along with Benicio. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. And, and the other ones, he's playing, you know, slapstick with uh, Ryan Reynolds. Sure. And, uh, he's a big purple menacing uh, enemy in uh, Avengers Infinity War. So, yeah, you know, really, I, I don't want to downplay his role, but, you know, there's really not much but posturing yeah. in that movie. You know, he's he's a menace and he there's ways of proving that. But, sure. you know, he's just basically there to domineer. Yeah, he's had such an interesting career. I mean, like, I've known him since the Goonies, but there was, like, a long time in between, obviously, that's what, in the mid to late 80s, that were were moving up the 90s. To me, Brolin was not really on my radar, so so to speak. And then, like, jump forward, he has such a renaissance post No Country for Old Men 
that he's now everywhere in 2018, like we said, was kind of that breakout year. And then alongside of him here is Danny McBride, which is kind of Danny McBride's movie. Like, it's it's his team, everything yeah. along here, like between the people who wrote it, including himself, uh, he's a co-writer yeah. on the film. Uh, you know, it's his director from film and TV stuff that he's done Jody before. Hill. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, so you had Foot Fist Way, Eastbound and Down, Vice Principals, Righteous Gemstones have all been directed you know, on some form by Jody Hill. Uh, and it's, you know, co-written by uh, John Carcieri, who also did Righteous Gemstones, Vice Principals and Eastbound. So it's kind of like Danny McBride's writing partner. Uh, yep. For a lot of the, especially a lot of the comedy stuff. So you definitely have a lot of the same people here who were on a huge role. Let's put it that way. Oh, so, yeah. so I can understand the appeal from a Netflix point of view um, when you're watching. Now, did you watch this in 2018 or did you watch it after the fact? I did. I, uh, I know that it's a hidden gem because I, I really did enjoy it. And uh, I reviewed it back then. And I think uh, Shane was the only person who really, you know, responded to it. Right, yeah. It was through his suggestion anyways. He said, you know, oh, have you seen this yet? And I was like, no, I haven't. Right. And when I finally did, I, I was just like, wow. You know, it, it, I like small movies like this. I love uh, the intimacy of, you know, basically a three-person film. You know, right. you have, uh, it, it small it's it's it doesn't cost much i can't i don't know the numbers but i can't imagine it costs too much yeah i would um, think talent would have taken most of the budget of this film. oh yeah of course but and everyone is firing on all cylinders everyone's doing great you know so yeah i uh, i saw it i i talked about it and it went over <laughs> everyone it just I got zero response. So I was like, all right, that's fine. So is there something, because, uh, well, basically, I'll just put it this way. What appealed to you then? And did and you watch, Did you watch it recently? And has it changed? Has it evolved for you? Has anything, you know, has your uh, affinity for it still hold, held up over time? It still holds. It's, yeah. It definitely still holds. I, I watched it again for uh, this podcast. And... Uh, when I first watched it, I, I really was surprised. More people weren't talking about it. Mm. Uh, it's just that well done. Brolin is is just great as this, you know, hunter who has his own, uh, you know, I guess DVD collection. <laughs> yeah, there was and, definitely a lot of these like uh, hunting shows on ESPN that I saw growing up when you mm -hmm. when you're a kid watching Sports Center for four hours and then it's like yes. oh wait it switched over to ESPN too what the hell's over here oh god they're shooting yeah. Bambi over here uh, yeah. so you know they got a lot of those shows over there it's either that or the the bass hunting shows or any of these and they're all right for those parody, for sure uh, they really I, are they were gonna go kind of like a lot harder on that in this movie. Oh, definitely. Uh, just, uh, it, it seems like Brolin is on or Buck is on, uh, the whole time, you know, right. he, he's, he wants everything filmed. He wants, you know, reaction shots. He's talking it out as, and trying to make it seem so organic, but yeah. it's so manipulated. Uh, and, and it's funny every time he's just like looking and it sounds like a 
like a PSA coming out from him. Sure. Um, and I loved every moment of it. So. So you're saying this movie is a non-typical? Oh, oh, <laughs> that's you a used deep, the word. Yeah, that's a deep one. Yeah. When you're quoting yes, this uh, hidden yes, gem, is. that is going to go over for nobody except for you guys. And, so I appreciate yeah, you picking it. that one up. Um, the three of I, us are in stitches. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, probably from a gunshot wound. Uh, oh. So, yes. Is that too specific? I mean, Oof, here we are. Wow. That's wow. what we're doing. So, Shane, obviously, you're the one who recommended this to, to Chris on some level, or at least thought it might appeal to him. So what did you think about the film in its moment, and have you watched it since yourself? Uh, I have. I'll be honest. I haven't watched it since I recommended it to Chris. <laughs> um, right. it's, been that, it's been that long, and I, did, I was trying to squeeze it in, but, you know, as you know, time just gets away from you. But I, I remember watching it, and I love Dan McBride. But as we discussed before the show, his highs are high and his lows are really low. Yeah. And I like Josh Brolin a lot before his renaissance, which we talked about. And I, I kind of compare him to uh, Jason Bateman in that way. Mm. Uh, like they're cool. around in the 80s. He recovered from Teen Wolf 2. And then right. like all of a sudden, like he's in everything. Kind of yeah. the same thing Josh Brolin. Like, like you said, the Goonies. And then he survived Jonah Hex. I don't know how he survived that one, <laughs> but then here we are. So I like the cast. I like the writing team. Uh, and it reminded me of the fist foot way and the fact that I liked it, but I expected more of it. I expected it. I, I would, didn't know what I was expecting. I just thought it'd be a little funnier than it was. It was a little subdued in that way for me. Uh, so I had problems with the pacing of the movie. And the funniest bit to me was the Danny McBride tent bit where we discussed before. Yeah. That's the scene that sticks with me. But at the end, I, I, I did like it. I, it was a different movie than I had anticipated in my head before I went in to go see it. Right. So I, I just want to set this up a little bit more for, for the people at home. Uh, you know, so the whole movie, like you said, is Buck Ferguson, who's played by Josh Brolin. Uh, he's supposed to be like this prolific uh you know hunter that a uh, tv hunter that you know sells dvds of his hunts and yeah. he's kind of like the big game hunter out there uh, i don't know many like i know uh when i was doing the research that they said it was supposed to be a very specific you know kind of one for one with a guy who already exists uh, i yes. don't remember the name that it was when i was looking I was but i i guess it's supposed to be some based on someone uh, in real life that might also be called Buck, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which that wouldn't shock me whatsoever uh, for this medium. Uh, R- Roger Rag- Raglan? Okay. Roger Raglan? Yeah. You know, the famous Roger Raglan? Of course. In certain circles, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, Shane being down in the Carolinas, maybe he could shut that out his window and somebody be right? like, hell yeah! I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Not up here, uh, maybe where we are so much, but definitely... You know, again, for that time, you know, like especially when we were what, like I was saying, when I was watching, you know, Sports Center in the '90s or something, that was a big thing, and it was around all the time. Yeah. Um, but so the movie is Buck Ferguson and his trusted cameraman Don, uh, who is played by Danny McBride, uh, basically setting out for an epic weekend adventure to reconnect with Buck's young son, uh, played by Montana Jordan. And trying to, to make things work post-divorce for Buck. How about you, Dad? You got a girlfriend? New Buck? <laughs> the only tell your dad's chasing his whitetail. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Maybe you should start dating again. 
No, no, no. I'm all right as is, Jaden. I'm doing just fine. Just saying, probably be good for you. Seems like Mama's moving on. Her and Greg are even talking about getting married. But they're talking about what? Um, and Montana Jordan, for anyone who might know, and you watch a lot of CBS, uh, he is in Young Sheldon. Uh, that's the only other real thing that I found that he is in of note. Yeah. Um, yep. But the cast. I, Cooper. Yeah, I don't, you know, I hate anything yeah. Big Bang Theory, so it's not going to, you could say anything wow. to me now. I'd be like, sure. Um, yeah. But that's basically the table setter here. The, and, you know, Jaden, uh, young Jaden, who is Buck's son, uh, lives with his mom and kind of like setting up a, uh, you know, a possible stepdad situation uh, with Greg, played by Scoot McNary, and the mother's played by Carrie Coon, who I also adore because uh, she was uh, one of the prominent characters of one of my favorite TV shows, The Leftovers. Uh, but she, you might also know her from Gone Girl, Widows, uh, Fargo TV show. She's been around a lot in the last few years and well-deserved. I absolutely think she's amazing. So good for her. And to be honest, one of the best characters to me in this whole thing, I thought was Greg, uh, played by Scoop McNary. Like I said, <laughs> uh, you know, he's, he's got Netflix pedigree. He was a war machine. Um, he was also in Narcos Mexico. Uh, but he's also, he's a character actor who's been around a, a while. Uh, he was in Argo, 12 Years a Slave, Promised Land, which I think is a slightly underrated film. Uh, and he was also in Gone Girl. So, you know, definitely, I, I think he's really funny. And I thought every time he was on screen, he had this kind of energy that was just, I don't know if it's because Brolin is in character so deep that he's a perfect yeah. offset, you know, perfect antithesis. Uh, but anytime he was on, it was so perfectly done. like him on a hoverboard and doing all this, like, yeah. and giving him like basically a call of duty rifle to shoot deer is funny to me. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think, uh, the cast for how limited it is, is well set up. I will say that I think that's probably yeah. a positive for the film. Um, what did you find so appealing? Cause like uh, we mentioned it's Brolin's, you know, biggest year. You have, even on the producing side, you have David Gordon Green, who ends up being McBride's partner in the new Halloween films, making the new Halloween films. Yeah. He also did Pineapple Express and Your Highness as well with McBride. So he's kind of ridden both sides. Plus, uh, Scott Rudin, who produces everything that's amazing. <laughs> this guy has been around for so long, like 30, 40 years, making the biggest movies uh, that you've ever seen. Uh, you know, he was the producer for No Country for Old Men, Social Network, Lady Bird, Truman Show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like so many of Ron Howard's films, just a long time. And on TV, I think he was uh, one of the producers for 24. And like it, the man is a hit machine. I believe he is part of Imagine yeah. Entertainment, I believe as well. He's amazing. So a lot of solid people in here, which is what. I was got me excited for the movie. But once I watched the movie, I do echo something more along what Shane was. So sell me Bastards. and everybody listening on on this film. And I'll and then I'll tell you what I I my full thoughts. But I want to hear yours first. I just like the uh there's uh there's a disconnect with you know father and son. Sure. Uh not only through a divorce, but you know he's a typical twelve year old who, you know, would rather you know, talk with his quote unquote girlfriend and, right. you know, be on his phone and listen to music and he gets bored easily. And, 
just like, you know, my, my daughter, you know, I'm just sure. like, Oh, let's try and do this interesting thing. And it's just like, no, no, I'm over here. Forget yeah, you it. lose out to the um, iPad every time, every time. And, uh, you know, you know, he's trying his hardest, uh, even though he's got tunnel vision, uh, for this, uh, you know, grand non-typical. Yes. And, uh, he wants to connect to his son so hard and he's going at every length to do it. And, uh, he is not, he's not seeing the forest for the trees. Yes. Uh, well put. So, <laughs> you know, and, and, and he's even missing out, uh, on how he treats Don. Yeah. You know, he, he's so intent on connecting with his son. He's just like not letting anything get in his way. Um, right. You know, so it's a story we've seen before, but just, I don't know, they all shine. Uh, Brolin definitely uh, takes the character of Buck and makes it his own. Uh, You know, Danny McBride as Don just, you know, yes, sir. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry. You know, (laughs) apologizing for for thinking on his own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, it it's sweet. It comes together, and uh, like I said before, I, th- these type of films are my my bread and butter. I I really like the the small intimate movies uh, that tell a, a straightforward story. There's no uh, bells and whistles about it, and I think everyone can uh, really connect to it. You know, there there's always uh, a uh, a distance between uh, parent and child. Right. Uh, I don't care what you're into. Yeah. Um, you know, you you just can't find that common ground. And whatever side you feel is right, you know, you can find the similarities in your own life. Yeah, so, I, I, I mean, I like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not exactly this stage with my kids. My kids are a little younger, of course, but of course, yeah. there there are certain elements to it that I can see going forward, or I see in other friends, and you know, who have older kids or what have you, but there's always, you know, divorces are hard no matter what, or tra- mm-hmm. strained relationships with, uh, with parents are always tough. But I, you know, I, I felt a lot like Shane where I, for the impressive team that is largely known for some of the funniest things I've ever seen uh, assembled for this one, I thought it was a letdown as far as the humor was, especially like that first half is definitely kind of, you know, the pacing is a little slow and it's very you know, deliberate. I mean, it is a smaller story, but yeah. you know, especially for an hour and a half, it needs to probably pack more punch in that hour and a half, especially mm-hmm. if given that time, I can imagine what I would have felt if I watched this in the moment. Cause I watched it for the first time for the pod. So, yeah. you know, maybe that's part of it too. I don't know. You know, maybe I wasn't swept I up feel- in anything uh, during the time. I will say my favorite things, uh, are the soundtrack is pretty damn good. It has three Avet Brothers songs, and I fucking love them. Ten thousand words swarm around my head, ten million more in books written beneath my bed. I wrote or read them all when searching in the swarm, still can't find how to hold my hands. Uh, so, you know, that is key for me. Um, there's a lot of good kind of classic rock tunes here as well. 
Um, and I would say that uh, Scott McNary, like I said, is a really good, uh, fun character for being kind of the stepdad to Brolin's brooding, selfish buck. And, you know, I, I think the best scene in the film, not for, t- I will try to keep this as spoiler free as possible, but yeah. there's a scene when Buck talks to his son about uh, his breakup with his girlfriend. Um, and there, I think that's a really great scene talking about like the real reasons for divorce. He kind of gets real with his son and mm-hmm. kind of really explains the appeal of solitude and the power of hunting and kind of really illuminates every character in such a small scene that mm-hmm. I think that movie really takes a turn after that point. Uh, so the, to me, that's the best of the film. The first half is a little tough, but it, it's a lot of exposition. It's a lot yeah. of, you know, setup. And, you know, I think once that really turns uh, outside of the scene that I believe Shane brought up uh, with Don's girlfriend uh, and her certain sexual picadillos um, is wild and mostly cringy. But the rest, especially compared to the rest of the tone of the film, um, it comes out of left field. But uh, I think definitely the second half of the film really picks up the bridge scene, quote unquote bridge scene. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good stuff. And then the, the, the ending, the way they tied it up, I, you know, it definitely picks up steam in the second half. Uh, two things. Uh, one, I think if there were uh, quicker cuts or, you know, like kind of move it along and even yeah. staying at the same uh, length, yeah. then uh, I think uh, it'll be lost. It'll be like, it wouldn't be a one-sided story because you're seeing this kid who doesn't want to be there and right. he's being dragged along, and yes, it's boring. Oh, we have to wait. Oh, we're going to track it. It's like, oh, my God, can't we just shoot this thing? You right. Know, you just want to get it done, you know? Right. But uh, most of the time, it's just it's for the hunt. It's, you know, connecting with the people you're with sure. and showing him not getting into it like his dad and, and his buddy. Right. Uh, he's just, you know, oh, God, we're doing this again? Right. Can't we just stop? Yeah, I'm hungry, you know, stuff right. like that. Yeah. Typical kid. Um, yeah. And the uh, the other thing is, uh, I think that's Jody Hill. That's just the way he is. Uh, you know, when I first watched Observe and Report, I yeah. was just like, I don't get what what the tone is. Yeah. I don't understand. Like, should we be laughing at his mental illness? Uh, yeah you know i mean who who's the hero here you know sure but you know i think that's jody hill uh yeah foot fist way i think uh is everyone's introduction to him uh and i wasn't really a big fan of that film because i guess when i first saw the trailer it seemed like it was going to be a laugh out loud great time and it there's some heart in it there's some you know low points in it and uh i'm just like oh should i be laughing i mean i don't (laughs) that that's jody hill right there like should we be laughing right um but with this i thought there was uh there was a good balance of that um even though you guys don't think so (laughs) well like i said it's a tale of two halves for me i think it really (laughs) does turn uh after that conversation and then beforehand it's a lot of just waiting which I guess, you know, kind of explains hunting <laughs> in a way oh, yeah. uh, and kind okay. of like a hunting weekend. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's not something that largely appeals to me either. So maybe uh, I'm not the right target audience for it. But, you know, 
I, I definitely did uh, enjoy some of the father son stuff and really kind of the turnaround of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a few good moments, good soundtrack, uh, some odd moments uh, considering the tone. Uh, so it, it, it was all right. That you I came won't, in, you I came, came in, in for the Avet brothers. Yeah. Yeah. You left with the, uh, the story. Okay. Which side yeah. note, they're from right down the road here in Concord, North Carolina. Beautiful. Yep. Yeah. No, and that's where it was filmed in North Carolina, I believe. That's where most of his films are filmed. Jody Hill's yeah. film. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Yep. Is he from the area too? Yep. Yep. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Him Good. And Danny. Uh, so, Shane, you want to pause it and then just run down the street and just see if you can go find him and then uh, bring him back? <laughs> sure. Him. Go ahead. Hey, you want to talk about your two-year-old movie? Uh, that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of my house. Yeah. But, yeah. So, like I said, uh, so that is your recommendation, Chris. Thank you for having us watch that. Uh, definitely some elements that I can definitely pass on. Uh, and who's to say that mine or Shane's opinion uh, is better? Oh, right. I will. But, you know, Chris, thank you for the good try. Uh, appreciate you <laughs> bringing that. Are you mute? Are you muting? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that'll be next. Um, but, yeah, thank Damn you for it. that. Like I said, that was probably the more recent pick that we have. That was 2018. The next two films were both in 2016, though we will get to that's not exactly the case uh, in Shane's pick. Uh, We'll go there next. Uh, It's Before I Wake. I'd like to ask your son a few questions. No, no. Cody! We can't let him sleep. Wake up! We promise to take care of that child. Came out on at least Netflix in 2016. We'll get to this backstory in a minute. Uh, co-written and directed by Mike Flanagan, uh, who a lot of people know, especially now from Doctor Sleep uh, and the House, A Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Um, and he also has Gerald's Game, uh, the Stephen King adaptation, as a previous Netflix film as well. And it seems like forever that all his other films have kind of just been on Netflix too. He's kind of just been you know, a product of Netflix a little bit in a way. Um, this is also co-written by Jeff Howard, uh, who co-wrote Gerald's Game and some of the episodes for Haunting of Hill House. And unfortunately, because I hate reboots, uh, he is also going to be the writer and creator for the upcoming I Know What You Did Last Summer reboot. So, you know, that is not another thing. Yeah, it's it's not, you know, we don't need more of the Gordon's Fisherman killing someone. So, uh, <laughs> But that is a thing that is going to happen. Um, and this film, uh, tell the people about it, Shane, because, you know, this is one that even though I was aware of Flanagan as a director and a writer, um, this one slipped right past my radar. Okay. Well, uh, I'm, I do like Mike Flanagan a lot. And before I get into this film, the reason why I chose this film, because I liked Hush, which came out after this film, technically speaking. Right. But so I went, so when I saw this come on, I knew it was directed by him. So I gave this a shot. And then I was drawn in right away because visually, uh, this movie has a lot of visual, it's just very visualistic uh, in its way it's shot. And I like Flanagan's approach to horror. He doesn't really do like a lot of jump cuts and jump scares and all that stuff because I'm a horror fan by heart. So I know horror is not for everybody, it's kind of niche. But anyway, 
Before I Wake stars uh, Kate Bosworth, Thomas Jane. They play a married couple, uh, which that's the only thing that kind of took me out of the movie because they seem like an odd pairing on screen because he's so much older than she is in real life. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I I, the way what looks. is it like? Thirteen years difference 15, or something? Fifteen. 15, I looked it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he had the the weird hairstyle going on. Whatever. He they adopt this young kid, Cody, played by Jacob Tremblay, who you'd known from Good Boys in the Room. So he's a young kid on the rise, and this is one of his first movies. <laughs> I'm only. I never do this, but I'm only going to correct you. It is Room, not the Room. Sorry, sorry. You're right. <laughs> you're right. Like, there was a little kid in that weird ass movie that inspired the disaster artist. Um, I'm gonna go with no. But no, you're yes. right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Um, yes. And anyway, they they adopt this kid Cody, bring him to the, their homes. Um, their family struck by tragedy. They lost their son in an accident, and he has the ability to manifest physically uh, his dreams and nightmares when he falls asleep. Right. So it takes a while for the family to realize what's going on and what he can do. And at first. Uh, Kate Boswell's character uses it, kind of uses this kid to bring back visually their dead son. Yeah. Which you can tell Thomas Jane's like, uh, he's not really on board with this. You can tell there's some family issues going on there as there would be with a a young kid like that accidentally, you know, has his accident. Yeah. So then they're just trying to figure out how they can help this kid out, you know, Thomas Jane. And then we get the introduced to the canker, the canker man. uh, Yeah. So I did like a lot of the horror elements. What I think Flanagan does does really well is sets the atmosphere in that horror element. Like it's tense filled atmosphere. Um, I just visually, I like what he does with his character. And it's well, this movie's well acted. It also has Annabeth Gesh uh, in here as well, playing the counselor. And Who is unfortunately have, in one of the worst Netflix movies I've ever seen in Rim of the World. I have not <laughs> seen that one. Yeah, that's a McG movie, which should say a lot of things. But um, I, I, again, McG, though, has another Netflix movie, The Babysitter, that's getting a sequel because it was good. So uh, right. McG isn't a all in one bucket thing, but man, was Room of the World terrible. Uh, she also happened to be in uh, Haunting of Hill House, too, for Flanagan later. So, you know, she definitely has some of the element stuff in this movie we can get into it further but uh her character should be brought up on charges uh for how negligent this woman is but (laughs) but uh annabeth gish in general i like her Uh, i liked her in x files you know you can go all the way back to mystic pizza you can do a lot of stuff with annabeth gish uh but unfortunately uh (laughs) this movie whoo had some things baby right it did and i like the score of this film which the music's done by danny elfman It's a good team behind this film, and I just thought it was suspenseful. I like the atmosphere. I like the acting. And the reason why I picked it now, because Flanagan, coming off of Dr. Sleep, is really starting to pop up in the atmosphere. So being this is one of his earlier works, I think a lot of people missed out on his early stuff, like Hush and Oculus and Before I Wake. Yeah. So. Now- now you keep saying the word horror and I know he has a different approach to horror, but I know I read somewhere that Flanagan for this movie specifically 
was objecting to the fact that it was being marketed as a horror film. And I could kind of buy that after watching it because he wanted to have it referred to as a fable or supernatural drama. And I buy that a little bit more. No, I agree with that. He wants, he wanted, yeah, like you said, labeled a fantasy is what I looked it up, like a fantasy movie. Sure. And this movie really, it, it takes some of the horror elements, though, and it really, uh, the main theme of this movie is grief and how people deal with grief. Essentially, that's what this, this movie plays to. Yeah. Which, and I told you the first time I saw this when it came out in 2016, I, it really stuck with me. But now, <laughs> since I just rewatched it, I'm sitting there maybe because I, I, I don't know what it is. I was just in a different mood. I was like, wow, this is kind of a dark, depressing subject matter. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Just to pull the curtain back a little bit, I did send Shane in our group message thing a few razzing things like, oh, thanks for having me watch the, uh, you know, creepy child all-stars for for a while. And right before I went to bed, thanks, man. This is so good. And then uh, earlier today, right before we were jumping on here, I had to give my kids a bath, which for anyone who's seen the movie uh, knows that that's a sore spot, a bone of contention. I was like, yeah, thank God I'm doing this right before we're going to talk about this movie, Shane. Thanks. So I had to be uh, kind of a dick to you. Uh, I hope you took it all in good chest. I did. Uh, I did. But yeah, no, Flanagan, uh, like I said, a lot of people are big fans of him now. He's definitely one of the upcoming, up and coming uh, horror directors, the go to guy. And 2016, he ended up releasing three films, and part of partially because of the story of this movie, he released this Hush and uh, Ouija: Origin of Evil all in the same year. Uh, so, you want to speak to the to the back history? I know you had a little bit more than I did. I think. Yeah, this movie actually they finished filming this movie in 2013, right after Oculus. Yeah, and then relative, I think it's called Relativity Media yes. had the rights. And they were going to release it. They released it in some film festivals in 2016 because it was stuck in limbo for a couple of years there. They released it in some festival, but they went bankrupt. So Netflix scooped in in 2017 and bought the rights to it. But they didn't have the rights in North America. They had the rights everywhere else. So they, re- they released this in April 28th in 2017 worldwide. But they didn't get the full rights in North America to, to uh, December, yeah, December 2017. Right. And they released it in North America on Netflix January 5th, 2018 is when yeah. they officially released it on Netflix. So, yeah, it was one of those movies that just kind of like was stuck there for a while. And I think it's because of Flanagan's success with his earlier movies. They're like, all right, we got to get this out there. Like this needs to be out there. For sure. Uh, they definitely saw the talent and they, it's one of those you know, they could try to pass this off as like, check out the new stuff from this up and coming guy. Uh, and, you know, they de- I don't remember when Gerald's game. Came- I want to say Gerald's game came out in like 2018, too, as well. Yeah, right? it did. Yeah, it did. So I think that was all just part of their strategy with kind of bring Flanagan more into the fold and kind of setting this up. And then I think 2019 was Haunting of Hill House. So, you know, they definitely have a franchise guy here. Uh, with with Flanagan, you know, obviously he's doing stuff in the studio work with Doctor Sleep and whatever else, but definitely uh, Netflix s- still has him kind of on the payroll, if you will, uh, doing more stuff for them, whether it's in a production end now or actually writing and directing. So, so this film, uh, I'll say, you know, <laughs> my biggest bone and contention with this, and I will say that overall, I did like the movie, but I will say that. 
the thing that I think is the hardest thing for me to swallow with this is Kate Bosworth. I think she is wildly miscast in this film because, you know, I understand what tragedy they went through, but she basically has no emotion in her face and doesn't emote well as an actress in general. And for kind of the line that she has to ride in this film, I felt like they could have or should have done better. And I think maybe, you know, and especially the time period, I don't even think she's considered a name, quote unquote. I mean, she is like her past success. But, you know, to me, when I wrote down uh, what I, the films that I know Kate Bosworth for, Everything is way before this. I mean, it's all, you know, Blue Crush, Remember the Titans, Superman Returns, if you go a little later. And she also happened to uh, make one of the worst Netflix series of all time with the island, I-Dashland. Uh, if you oh, ever I stayed away that. from that. I stayed yeah, away. it got such bad reviews, I didn't even bother. But it got panned on an extreme level. So... Are you a fan of hers, like, even before this? Or did you just kind of go, I'm a fan of Flanny. I'll try this out and see where it goes. I'm a fan of Flanagan. I don't mind Kate Bosworth, but you're right. The second time watching this, she was, like, very wooden, like Christine Stewart normally is. Like, very <laughs> okay. bland and wooden and emotionalist. I thought Thomas Jane brought more of that to, to their role. So out of the duo... I like Thomas Jane, but I really thought Jacob Tremblay obviously stole the show with his performance. But I'm I'm kind of like just meh with Kate Bosworth. Like I like her, but I'm not like over the top for her. But in this role, you're right. She was just very her role bothered me in, in this movie. The yeah. second time I watched it, I just oh, yeah. Yeah, Botox. I thought that too, Chris. Now you watch this film as well? No, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, it always interests me because I, I saw the trailer and I thought it was a, an interesting concept. But uh, I'm uh, I'm here as the audience listening to why I should watch the movie. And does that sound appealing to you? Before we uh, kind of like do a deeper dive, is there? Something- yeah, no, it, it definitely does. Uh, I'm I am curious as to uh, how it all pans out and uh, how they look at grief. And uh, yeah, I like all involved. Again, Kate Bosworth, you know, I can give or take, you know, her performances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and listen, and Thomas Jane goes both ways with me, too. I mean, you know, he's definitely done a lot of uh, a king work, uh, including for Netflix. He was in 1922. He's done The Mist. He's done Dreamcatcher. Uh, you know, he's probably more n- noted for being in The Punisher. At least a lot of my circles paint him that way. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think the relationship between Bosworth and Jane is a little tough to swallow at times. I always feel bad and this, I don't know if this is uh, you know, a male slanted thing or whatever. I always notice whenever they have some kind of tragedy come through where uh, the husband has something uh, happen to him, they, oh, they never mourn the husband. If there's always something <laughs> to move on from, from that moment the husband is never mourned it's always like well we survived that didn't we and daddy's up in heaven and that's the end of the conversation and this movie is like the biggest version of that slight spoiler i guess for for people who who are gonna watch the film if they haven't already um in this movie (laughs) tough break for mark uh jane's character he has all the guilt from the accident the wife basically blames him for the accident. 
They never mourn him after he uh, risks his life for them. And then in the montage, everyone who uh, dies in the film goes back to their regular lives, except for him. It's like, no, no, no. You stay dead and hang out with your dead son. You do that. You do that instead. Stay dead. Don't come back. This kid is mine. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because, again, I'm, I, I caught that. Like, she had no, well, she had a little emotion at the beginning when what happened to her husband, right? Yeah. But like, two scenes later, it's like, yeah, that, that, that happened like 10 minutes ago. Oh, yeah. I moved, I moved on. I don't know how they're still together. And and I also, they kind of address it a little bit. I don't know how they're still living in the same house. And at the end of the movie, like she's suggesting to young Cody what he can do. Like he can bring these people back. Because remember, he asked her, like, is that what really happened? Yeah. And she goes, you know, put, she's kind of planting that seed in his head for him to make that happen. And that's what made it even shittier to me because she's like, oh, (laughs) give this kid back and this guy's wife back but no you know what just leave daddy in heaven with sean right. i'm like what <laughs> like what yeah. are you doing you shitty wife you yeah. shitty, shitty wife <laughs> yeah no there's a lot of those things and like i said uh annabeth gish also drives me crazy for being the social services woman who absolutely should be brought up on charges for accessory to commit murder for how many things happen after she keeps setting this kid up with all these other couples and not mentioning a word of any of his issues uh, going forward. So, man. Right. Uh, and, and how about the part where Kate Bosworth finally confronts the canker man, right? Yeah. If she passes Annabelle, Annabeth Gash on the staircase, wouldn't a normal person try to, like, break her out of that cocoon or whatever she was in? She just nope. eyeballs her and just keeps walking. I'm like... Yeah. <laughs> Both people kind of got what they deserved. Right. <laughs> so, but... Here's the thing. I know uh, maybe I'm sounding a little negative towards the film and because there are some flaws. However, I will say this movie is engrossing for the story it sets up for most of the film because of how good Flanagan is at storytelling. And you could definitely tell that this is a maybe a more personal story to him, something that means a little bit more. It's more of a like he said, uh, he got mad at the sense that this was even considered a horror movie. And I think that's because he's a little maybe close to the subject matter being a movie about, uh, you know, loss of a parent and loss of a child and a lot of like just grief and, and a lot of those, you know, storylines that maybe a lot of horror doesn't do. Maybe, you know, a horror doesn't get to be as nuanced at times. Uh, and kudos to telling such a good story here in such a short runtime too because a lot of times if a movie is only an hour and a half you really have to like narrow it down you know and you don't get to a lot of nuance i think he does a good job in terms of painting all the pictures here from every character's perspective so and i liked the actual when you find out who the canker man really is it is a little bit of a twist like you don't really piece it together to the very end and i i coming from Cody being three at the time, I was like, that makes total, that makes total sense. Like you can't pronounce that name the way it should be pronounced. I just, they, that twist kind of caught me again because it's been a couple years since I watched it. I was like, that's, that's smart. It's It's, just smart writing. It's like the, uh, it's like the Rain Man discovery. It's like, what's the Rain Man? Oh, what's that nickname? Where is that derived (laughs) from? Because they couldn't say Raymond. Right. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, and, uh, it's a little on the nose, 
of course but you know for coming from a child's perspective it makes a lot of sense yeah um but yeah overall like i said it's a it's a it's a worthwhile engrossing film for a lot of the the film i think bosworth is the toughest part of any of it i think if they cast her with someone a little bit warmer or a little or you know someone who can really do the subtleties that are necessary to ride the line of emotions that is in this film and in that character i think it could have been a better film but definitely for what it did and that you know the canker man is well done you know yeah. in terms of like how frightening it is uh, at times and of course you know the beauty that they show in his dreams as well is very impressive so like you said a visual visually stunning at times uh definitely engrossing in terms of the story you're hanging on to to what is causing all this what is going how this is all set up so definitely it shows Flanagan's early talent. You know, it, it maybe could have gotten more pan thinking something bigger from Flanagan because of the time gap between he made it and when it was released. But definitely something that I would say that if you're into his work, definitely check it out. Right. And the original title of this film was supposed to be Somnia, which right. the studio, yeah, the studio made him. Titles. Right. And yeah, and the studio made him change it. So, yeah. I, I think this is a better title. I anyway. do too. I think, you know, you, you get too hung up on your one word Latin or whatever that <laughs> yeah. he likes to do. <laughs> like, okay, fine. You're good. But uh, yeah, unnecessary. But yeah, like I said, you know, if you like Flanagan, you like his work, check that out. And also check out Gerald, Gerald's Game because we're going to be covering it on this podcast in a few weeks. So go on your Flanagan Ooh. deep dive audience uh, and we'll, we'll cover it all here and, and check it out later. Um, the third film that we're going to cover is uh, my film, which of course is the best of the three by far. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it was also a film that uh, I believe maybe Shane and I talked about previously before I watched it was kind of on you know some lists of films that maybe didn't get enough love uh, on Netflix that I looked around for, uh, and that film is called The Siege of Jadoville. Sniper! Fast! Can you hit the schoolhouse? Yeah! Brand on a single shot! I need the brand! The man in the white suit! Do you have his heart? Yeah, boss. Take it! Uh, which also came out in 2016, um, starring Jamie Dornan. Uh, who is Christian Grey in the Fifty Shade films? If you ever seen those, no, he was, no, he was in the Fall. Okay, sure, yeah, he's had a storied career, I guess, if you want to call it that way. <laughs> he's a former model, and I will go into how beautiful he is uh, later on. Uh, but he was also in A Private War, Marie Antoinette, some other uh, notable titles that he's had in his career. You know, and there's a few other character actor guys that you've definitely seen before in the film like mark strong uh who was in uh the sherlock holmes films as lord blackwood he's in the kingsman films as merlin he's in the brothers grimsby 
and Shazam and 1917 as of recent. So he's definitely had a long storied career there as like a very solid character actor. And Michael McElliton, I will say, uh, who plays General McAtee, uh, he played uh, Lord Bolton, uh, Ramsay Bolton's father in Game of Thrones. So if you recognize him there uh, from this as well. Uh, so definitely a, a pretty solid cast for a lot of people who don't really maybe jump off the screen when you first watch this film because, you know, it's about an Irish army working for the UN and being in the Congo. So I know Chris is very excited that we had some subtitle action uh, between, you know, French and Belgian mercenaries. We got people in the Congo and we got Irish brogue. You got a lot of accent work, a lot of things. I'm sure you were excited about that one, Chris. I, you know what, I, if you didn't pick it, I was, um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, this, this, this is what it all comes down to for sure. Uh, but, uh, no, you took it. So I give it to you. Yeah. The story, the story is pretty solid for being a true story. Um, you know, I'll get to how I truly feel about it, uh, in a moment, but the, the nuts and bolts of it is basically Irish commandant Pat Quinlan, uh, you know, leads a standoff with troops against French and Belgian mercenaries in the Congo during the early 1960s, basically the Kennedy era of the Cold War, uh, you know, kind of like a, a standoff between nations, a brink of another world war kind of a situation with uh, going after, you know, different elements uh, that add up to war weapons uh, being, you know, kind of contested between the U.S. and Russia and kind of being caught in the middle here with the UN trying to send peacekeepers to keep the interests of the mining and everything else at bay. But at the heart of this film, all the politics is decent setup, but the heart of this movie is literally just the standoff. The, the, you know, the hold the line version of this film where, you know, a small, they called it, they called them war virgins. Uh, basically the Irish army had never really been in, you know, w war battles, you know, ever. Uh, they were kind of been neutral this whole time. Hence why the UN uh, sent them through and you get this incredible battle where they're outnumbered 20 to one and have to fight off all these mercenaries, all these trained war assassins, uh, these soldiers uh, and they hold them off for a very long time. And the battle scenes I thought were very good in here. Um, you know, and it mo the movie moves swiftly to get to that point as well. I mean, the Irish army is in the Congo 15 minutes into the film. I think the first, you know, battle that happens is maybe 30 minutes into the film. It, it definitely gets right to the point. It doesn't bog down in the politics. And what I will say, and I definitely want to hear from you guys, I think, especially considering all the war movies that have come out in the last 10 to 20 years, where every one of them is like, isn't war shit? Is, isn't <laughs> this that, like, isn't how we got here so terrible? Like, you know, the examples of, you know, say a Zero Dark Thirty, which people don't want to rewatch, or, you know, even something like Three Kings, which I think is very, you know, fun to watch. And that's over 20 years old now. Uh, even that's like a soldier of fortune and like making the best of a bad situation. You know, any kind of like the Desert Storm era or any of the Afghanistan, anything in the in the Middle East or any of those nations are always tough to watch because you're like, yeah, we're on your side. But should we be? 
because it's like always some complex political slant. This one, I think, is a very, it's an easily digestible war film. The rooting interest is screwed by everyone, including their own government. So you can't really fault them for being in the war that they're in. And then, because they're basically politically neutral. And then no one dies. No one dies from their company. Spoiler. uh, Hey, man, uh, that's the appeal here. And if you know the, uh, you know, spoiler from uh, what, uh, 60 years ago now, uh, (laughs) any kind of historical elements, you know, uh, and they overcome incredible odds that, you know, for being very, uh, you know, not being veterans of war at this point. Um, And the film ends and you get like this, Oh, captain, my captain moment, you know, for, for the, the commandant there. So there's a lot of things that I like this. And especially on rewatch, I thought it actually got better for me. Um, Cause I think when you first watch it, maybe some of the politics can kind of breeze through you. You don't fully lock in with some of those characters who are moving the chess pieces. Uh, you really yeah. fall in love with maybe the war aspect and the battle aspect and the strategy uh, within that but definitely um i think on second watch you can kind of get more into that knowing how it all shook out and then really get into it by how the movie ends because if i told you hey it's a war movie that ends with them not really winning you'd be like well then what the hell am i watching this for <laughs> like uh oh yeah no and they're kind of shunned what are you talking about like <laughs> they're taken prisoner oh why why would i root for this then Trust me, all those things don't matter in terms of your enjoyment. Uh, and I actually, I hope that you guys feel the same because I'm speaking kind of glowingly here. I think it's one of the, I think, because uh, I've been constantly doing my rankings here, I think I put it almost in the top 20 of what Netflix is doing. And that's over a five-year span. And for such a smaller film uh, and a, you know, a hidden gem of things, I think that's pretty damn high. Uh, so what did you guys think? I think I'll start with Shane here. Uh, no, I'm with you. I, I don't have a bad thing to say about this movie at all. And like you said, the pol- the political part of it, they set it up perfectly for what it is. I really like the action piece of this movie. I love Jamie Dorn- Dorman's performance in this movie because he got crapped on after uh, the Fifty Shades stuff. Yeah. But he brings his A-game here. But like you said, I, I, I just love the action scene and what pissed me off about this movie, not in a negative way about the movie, but how <laughs> yeah. they kept getting just left out the drive the entire damn movie. Like how many obstacles do you have to overcome? And like they wouldn't resupply them. They wouldn't give them this. They, they, they kept, you know, delaying everything. So they yeah. had to like just re-strategize and fend off like 3,000 damn mercenaries. And they had a group of 150. And yeah. Like, like you hit the nail on the head. How they didn't have one single casualty out of that is mind, mind blowing to me. Yeah. So I'm really glad it's a slice of uh, military history that got brought back and got brought into light because of Netflix. Because I knew nothing about this. I'm not a historian in that way. I do like military movies for the most part, and this was one of the better ones I've seen in the last ten years. Yeah. And I would have to agree with you if I, I would put it in at least my top 25 Netflix films. Uh, and yeah, I, I love this movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. Cause if I told somebody that, Oh yeah, they had one of the strongest stands of military history and then were shunned for 40 plus years. You'd be like, what? That right. doesn't make any sense. And I mean, you know, obviously in American 
parlances. You know, uh, a lot of the the people who fought in Vietnam didn't have an easy time of it coming home, and now we feel a little bit differently. You know, a more nuanced thought, thinking like the government was a bad agent here, and the other people are just kind of, you know, brought in there to to fight for their country, thinking they were doing what right, you know, what's right. So it's a little bit more nuanced of a story instead of how they were treated back then. So you can kind of say that kind of mirrors, but this is, whew, right, so and, specific. Right. <laughs> like how can it be the same? You know, I think sometimes I get upset because. Uh, Though I've never been in combat, I, I was in the military, so I get how shit could roll downhill. Right. And for all that stuff to happen, it is so frustrating. Of so, course. But it was it was a great movie. I I couldn't recommend. I yeah, just go watch the movie. <laughs> Chris, were you able to watch the film as well? I was not. I was not. I'm 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 a terrible guest. I <laughs> don't just. What are you doing? However, uh, you guys are saying all the stuff that I need to hear for me to go see it. Yeah, so, you definitely need to, man. Like, uh, I no, I was gonna say I don't know your uh, ethnic makeup, Chris Friedel. Whoa, whoa! You know, I yeah. don't see ethnic will, make, makeup. Yeah, well, you should see yeah. some makeup. Yeah, Irish bastard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stop. I am just Irish Welsh, like a mofo. Uh, so <laughs> just even just <laughs> uh, pasty Irishmen being athletic badasses is very appealing to me. Like that's not right? what we're known Nation, for. National you know? pride. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I also love the appeal of being in the middle of one of the, the toughest standoffs ever and still ordering whiskey from your general is also very appealing to me. Oh, uh, I thought that was pretty awesome. And, and some of the people in here, I want to like know more about some of these, uh, you know, actors that are in here that I didn't really know much about. Like case in point, Jason O'Mara, uh, who basically looks and acts like a young Michael Rooker is like the perfect soldier <laughs> right. here. Uh, kind of being the number two in the outfit here, uh, who, you know, obviously people took notice uh, after this because he ended up being uh, the Patriot uh, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, just recently and kind of took over uh, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for that. And because he looks like a badass soldier, he has everything going for him uh, with that. Uh, speaking of things going for this movie, the score is so good. Uh, I got literally vibes of like Zimmer's Dark Knight trilogy work at times. It's intense. <laughs> and really driving uh, for a lot of this story. I think the cinematography is a standout as well. Um, especially the the brief night warfare, Shane. I don't know if right. you, that appealed to you too. Oh, absolutely. It's very brief, but like just the fireworks and the you know, it's really hard to shoot night exteriors. And this budget, I don't know what it was, but you know, for being a film that was you know acquired by Netflix after the fact, it wasn't like they backed this. They acquired it after it won a lot of uh, Irish film film and television awards. Uh, they were nominated for eight of those and won four of them. So it was clearly had some kind of appeal over in Ireland, but, you know, had to be brought here via Netflix. So, man, some of these things, uh, it's amazing. I'm going to definitely look for some of these people going forward. I'm trying to find the budget. I can't find the budget for it. Sorry. 
Yeah, no, it, 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 let's put it this way. I can't imagine it being at the same level as some of the military films here in the U.S. Oh, like absolutely. even the small ones, like it couldn't even probably hold a candle to like say Hacksaw Ridge or something, which is not like a big war movie. You know, it's not on the level of a 1917 or something. You know, this is a much smaller story, but it's got a lot of intense action and it's impressive for how much they pull off. There's air raid strikes, there's mortar blasts, there's everything that you would think of in a war battle in this film. And, and, you know, maybe Jamie Dornan's not a huge star at this point, you know, 50 shades. I forget when the first 50 shades film came out, but you know, as you should. Yeah, I guess I should. It's never really appealed to me, but I will say now watching Jamie Dornan here, he has a very good performance and this man, uh, this role was absolutely made for him because he doesn't have to do a ton of strong verbal acting, you know, a lot of emoting. However, the one thing that this man was built for was being able to have a lot of hard stares into the harsh terrain of the Congo and just kind of overseeing a battle and just kind of like putting the right face to the moment. And man, does he do that? Because, uh, like I said, former model, this man is dreamy. <laughs> yeah, I think what Chris said before uh, his previous work, which uh, 2015 is when Fifty Shades of Grey came out. Okay, so not long before this. So, <laughs> right, good timing by Netflix to acquire it. Uh, but I would say it was probably shot around the same time. Right, but he also was in the Irish uh, series The Fall with Gillian Anderson. I think that's what Chris was referring to, where he plays a yes. serial killer. Yeah. And that those that show was fantastic, and he did a great job, and I think he ruined his career a little by Fifty Shades of Grey. Right? You wonder what went wrong. <laughs> now, is because uh, I'm, I'm in his camp now. Uh, where can you find The Fall? Is that on Netflix, too, or no? It, it was on Netflix, Netflix for the longest time. Yeah, I think it still yeah. is on Netflix, yeah. Huh? Was it, a, on, it on originally uh, BBC? It was a BBC show. Like yeah, it was a BBC yeah. show originally. Because I love Jillian Anderson too. Well, who, so, doesn't love, yeah. who doesn't love? Who doesn't love? Yeah, Scully. No, no she she's terrific. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember that uh, Rolling Stone cover, like uh, nobody's business. So, but she is an amazing actress. I would definitely watch that, and I highly recommend this film. Um, and the politics. You know, even depending, you know, it's at least good for America, you know, American audiences who get so inundated with politics, especially right now, to kind of just have a film where you can kind of be like, hey, look, somebody else screwed up and still kind of like, you know, try to be on the right side of history and, and trying to see how the pieces evolve for this story. I definitely can't, you know say too many more high praises because it, it's a great film and like i said on rewatch it even got better uh it, it, the four irish film awards that they had uh kind of highlight some of the best people here because i believe jason o'mara won his award i think mark strong uh won uh an award for that and i think you know a lot of people on the directing side and all that were were praised as well. Uh, that's the one thing I guess uh, I I was a little confused by here. Uh, Richie Smith, uh, who you know directed this, doesn't have much of a career. He's kind of a music video director, really. Uh, yeah, and I'm like, 
he directed the shit out of this. This movie moves so well. Um, you know, and and even who wrote it, Kevin Brodbin, uh, he he only of note wrote Constantine, which to me is not a very well written film. It's okay, but like I wouldn't say that the writing was the strong suit, especially the dialogue. This this movie is very entertaining. It's funny in moments. You know, it, it's got great action. It's got a lot of like good exchanges with, uh, you know, Dornan's character, Quinlan, over the phone, talking to the people who are basically screwing him over. There's a lot of good stuff here. Uh, so this, to me, is like the best work for a lot of these people. And, you know, definitely I'm going to look uh, more for that later. And Jason O'Mara, for all my nerd friends, Mr. Ferdell included here, uh, he's the voice of fucking Batman and all the animated films that I like. And I had no idea. Really? Yeah, he's like, he's in so many of the movies, like especially the, the newer ones. I think like, I want to say uh, the... What was it hush uh that just came out recently for batman yeah I, mean, I think i think he's batman in under the red hood i think he's in dark knight returns as batman he's the voice of batman in so many things and it makes sense because again he is a goddamn badass and he's also in man in the high castle too so like he just has that soldier brogue you know just this he's a man He's a goddamn man, <laughs> and I envy that on so many levels. But like I said, yeah, he's kind of like Michael Rooker light, but like kind of just more ugh, badass. I don't right. know. You're right about the director. He's directed one thing since this movie, and that was a YouTube video in 2017. Yeah, it, it was it, all YouTube and Verve. Yeah, that was Verve. It. It's like, what, what are yeah. we doing here? Uh, so, man, yeah, it's a real impressive film. Um, and I think our audience will be super stoked uh, to listen about all three of these films. And, you know, I think these all still technically count as hidden gems. I think even though you get a lot of star power in something that Chris brought up or, you know, Flanagan is an up and coming guy, but like this is early on for him. It's even pre Gerald's game, you know, so definitely it's early on enough. I think this could be considered, you know, kind of lost in the shuffle somewhere. And then this one, like I said, you know, some star power, but a lot of people's, you know, not known across the board and makes an amazing movie. Uh, it's such a great story. So I hope, you know, everybody who's hung on and listened to this whole thing has now three solid recommendations now in their watch list, in their queue, in their list, however you want to say it. Um, yeah. And I appreciate you guys for coming on and delivering uh, these films to the people. Um, so now, obviously, Tell the people where you guys are more notably other than your awesome appearances on my podcast. Um, Shane, I'll start with you. Uh, tell yeah. the people where they can find Media Mosh. Yeah, go check it out. The Apple Podcast Store. You can find me on Podbean. I'm also on the Twitterverse at Shane Media Mosh. But more importantly, just go to the podcast store, download me, share me with your friends, and just leave a review for me. Thank share you. me with your friends is something that a lot of uh, is around in my circles. <laughs> And obviously, it was a big part of Chris's movie. So, you know, share me with your friends is a big plot yep. point for you. Yep. So, uh, where can people share you, uh, sir? Arguing with myself. I'm uh, everywhere that you find on the internet. I'm there. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook mostly, Twitter, arguing W myself. 
uh, Instagram arguing with because I just like to leave it out there. I like to argue with people. Yeah, brevity um, is good, man. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I am uh, working on uh, reviews. Believe it or not, I'm working on reviews. Uh, and uh, I, I still like to uh, help promote you guys with little pictures and uh, using words wisely. The marketing genius that is Chris Rodell, everybody. Um, so thank Don't you guys. Don't judge me. <laughs> this was another banger, guys. Thank you guys so much for doing this. Uh, you Thanks know, for having us. Yeah, it was awesome. awesome. You guys are great as a pair and as individuals, and I love you both. So thank you guys for doing it. And check out these guys' work. And be sure to obviously, you know, if you came to us and you don't subscribe to us already, do that. Check out everybody's work because we're all struggling here in this damn pandemic and uh, we're just trying to put out our best stuff. So thank you guys for listening and thank you guys for coming on. Thank you.